Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Brian Dilks and I'm joined by the Malky Mackay to my Liam Richardson. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Trying to make the link Justin, there. how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Trying to make the link. What do you mean? Malky Mackay and Liam Richardson. Yeah? I, 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 I don't get that on this week. Malky Mackay was shit at Wigan, is, is my oh, point. Oh yeah, I completely forgot about that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, championship okay. expert, <laughs> so called. Uh, on the show this week, we're joined by Charlie Keegan from the Central Wigan blog. Ch- Charlie, how's it going? It's going good. Thank you for having me on. No problem. Also with us is Jacob Robinson from the Norwich podcast Canarycast. Jake, how are you? Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to just being able to vent to uh, gents this afternoon because yeah, we're, I remember coming on the start of the season and nothing has changed. I've seen a lot of what you've said recently. Completely agree. I'm just looking forward to just venting uh, before the World Cup starts because the biggest positive is I have to watch Norwich for a good like three weeks, which is, is is glorious news, to be honest with you. We always say this when we have guests on the show. It's kind of like therapy for when your team's not doing very well. You just tell us all your problems and we can just discuss it and get you through the hard times that you're going through. Uh, but welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast. He's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. It's the final round of games before the championship takes a break for the World Cup. And we've sure gone out with a bang, including some unbelievable goals. But we'll talk about all the games in the championship from the weekend, discuss some of the news from the past few days and finish off with Simon Grayson's hateful eight right at the end. So a stoppage time winner gave Middlesbrough a huge three points away at Norwich. Two on it finished. It was a great game for the neutral, Jacob. How was it for you? Uh, Middlesbrough deserved it. That's the best way of putting it. Um, Norwich for the first 20 minutes, well, first five minutes, Middlesbrough were really good, kept the ball really well. Michael Carrick, you can see what the philosophy is there. I think quite a few people have already seen. I know you guys were tipping them early on. I think a lot of people were. You see those that group of players that's good enough to be more than comfortably top six. I just think Wilder not wanting to be there and all that kind of those links with Bournemouth, whatever it was, it, it just it, it seemed to be a bit of a toxic atmosphere. Carrick's got in clear philosophy. Then Norwich actually decided to turn up. I think the players actually. Oh yeah, let's let's give this uh, this a go today. And um, for the first twenty five minutes, got the goal. Sergeant Pookie should have scored beforehand. Then Sergeant scored. He's probably one of maybe two players that have, we'll go on to it later. Um, that, that Norwich have actually probably looked alright this season alongside Gabriel Sara and improved rather than regressed. Sergeant, great finish. Looking forward to seeing him in the World Cup. Hope he starts actually because he's a really good lad. You can see that. And then, yeah, after the goal, we, we had a couple of other opportunities. Um, then literally Middlesbrough tweaked it, dropped back a little bit rather than being really high. Realised that Lenahan was on a yellow card, didn't really want to get him sent off. 
and we just completely just sat back and allowed them to keep crossing. They deserve the goals. The goal from McGree is incredible. He played really well on the, on the day and, again, deserves to go to the World Cup because he's incredible. And we just deserve to lose. I'm quite kind of glad we did lose just because I, I just want Smith gone now. It's just never been a, a more unanimous kind of uh, fan kind of all togetherness, really, to be honest with you. that It's just it's unfortunate. He seems like a nice enough bloke. He's all right. He's very dull and Norwich very dull you look at him on the sidelines hands in pockets his, his team kind of epitomised just the way he is he's very dull very brummy very just meh. yeah very meh um, yeah we're really rubbish we're not going up this season with him yeah going back to that McGree wonder goal Justin scissors kick 20 yards right in the top corner Talk me through that one, Justin Peach. Yeah, we don't see scissor kicks very often. I think the angle I saw it on was behind the goal. So it was it looked even better. Um, and you just got the full the full aesthetic of it. It was an absolutely beautiful, beautiful goal from a player who's growing in confidence. And he's that, that dy- dynamic on the left hand side with Ryan Giles is working working really well because you saw McGree drift inside. And obviously that's going to create space for Giles to put balls into the box, but McGree drifting in from the from the left hand side to find the positions he's in um is is what he's very good at. He's very good at finding space and he's got that quality. I don't think his his goals or assist record really back him up, but he does have that ability when he's um, when he's in full confidence and he's getting to that under Carrick and yeah, just a scissor kick, just uh, yeah, scissor kicks. One of the best kind of volleys, I think. Um, if it's if it's crashing off the underside of the bar, it's a good volley. But if it's a scissor kick, I don't think you can beat it. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful goal. Yeah, Jake, if you've already had a good vent about <laughs> Teen Smith so far, but I want to dive in a bit more. Um, there more, are definite booze. Ready to go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there are definite booze after this game from Norwich supporters. Why why do Norwich fans dislike the job that Dean Smith is doing right now so much? It's just very, very average. Um, I think that I think the first thing you do when you go into football club or I envisage get the fans on side. Like I think there's always been that that very especially especially with Daniel Farker. I know Norwich fans will be listening to this going, oh he's blabbering on again against out the past. But he just Culminate the whole club just came together because he, he made it an atmosphere. Under Alex Neal, it was very similar to be fair. The club just had kind of got relegated and it was kind of just it had a load of good players, good championship players who should be doing better. They just kind of waned away. Daniel Farker came in and we actually got a clear philosophy. Stuart Weber again could go in a completely different direction and talk about how what he's done and how he's changed and He's gone from being so open and so honest about what his plan is for this football club, what we're going to do, to being like, yeah, I'll probably leave this is before COVID, probably leave at the end of the season and then and then go abroad or do whatever. COVID stopped it. And it just kind of seems like he's here. He's there. He's just kind of, he's here because he's got nowhere else to go. His, his missus is on the board. They, they, Delia loves loves those two as, as a kind of a couple. And it just all seems a little bit like mates are here because, you know, they like one another. And I don't really know what the job's, being done. Mark Antanasio is coming in as an American investor, so that'll be interesting to see if there's any kind of shift there. But Smith in general, he just hasn't got kind of a personality with, 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 the, with the fans. He hasn't got us on side. And the football's very... I can't really explain it. There is no style. There is no... I loved watching that Brentford team under Dean Smith. I've really enjoyed kind of watching that. I wouldn't want to say plucky because they had good players, but they developed players. You could see a clear style of play. Griffin Park was nice and tight and compact. You just No one ever wanted to go there. And whilst they're a bit patchy here and there, you could see what there was a clear plan. But I really don't understand it. I think he's very handbrake. Maybe that's from the time at Villa, trying to keep them up. And just, yeah, we're very handbrake, very on the back foot. Players are regressive. Max Aarons doesn't look anywhere near the player he was a couple of years ago because he's not really been allowed to attack. 
Timu Puki's not being, I mean, oh my goodness, if I see Ben Gibson or Grant Hanley smack it up to Timu Puki one more time this season, I think I'll just have a mental breakdown because it's just like, what are you doing? You can see even he's frustrated. It just, it, it's all kind of square pegs, round holes. And, and yeah, I don't know if you can tell, I'm just not very happy with everything at the minute. Yeah, and you'd imagine that with the World Cup break coming up, that'd be the ideal time to change a manager, wouldn't it? So we'll have to wait and see. Well, speaking of managerial departures, Wigan played their first game since Liam Richardson was sacked this weekend. He'd only just signed a new three-year contract two weeks ago, so very strange. Whatever the case, the Latics bounced back to beat Blackpool 2-1. Charlie, how was the game? It was a good game. It was good. I was nervous when the team selection got put out. Obviously, we were under the the management of our two assistant managers, James Beattie and Rob Kelly. So naturally, the team's only going to be selected very similar to what it was usually. They're not bringing any new ideas in. And so I saw that we went for another three at the back, two wing backs, and then we went for three in the midfield and two up top because our top scorer, Wilkeen, pulled up with a groin pull in the game before. So it was obviously going to be a huge loss. We had to adapt to how we would play without him. Um and I think the, the game kind of started as it would with two bottom-of-the-side championship sides who need the three points. It was a bit cagey, like both needed the points, so both didn't want to overcommit early on. And then Blackpool got an early sending off, and then that kind of changed the whole dynamic and the rhythm of the game. We then conceded a goal out of nothing, and that rocked us until half-time. And I don't know what Rob Kelly said at half-time to the players, but they came out and they were phenomenal. They were, it was one of the best 45 minutes I've seen all season. We scored 30, uh, we had 13 shots, I think it was, in the second half, which is more than we've had in any game. You've got to go back to Rotherham on, I think it's October 1st, to see more goal, uh, more shots in 90 minutes than we've had in that entire second half. We had 13 shots in that second half. And we got a little bit lucky with James McLean scoring straight from the corner, but you need that luck to turn it around. And then we rode that momentum. We rode the goal. And just by the way the game was going, you knew that the, the winner was going to come if they kept pushing. And Curtis Tilt steps up. 88th minute and scores the header. Yeah, despite being d- down to 10 men for the vast majority of the game, Justin, Michael Appleton didn't get any sympathy from the away supporters here. Virtually the whole away end was singing, you're getting sacked in the morning. And it seems like he's another manager who would be very fortunate if he's still in a job after the World Cup break, Justin. Yeah, he was walking a tightrope anyway because of how unpopular a decision it was to appoint him. Um, look, I, I think it's difficult to judge Appleton because of the injury record that Blackpool have had this season. You know, you've only got to look at Keshi Anderson, who uh, returned from injury last week, then picked up another injury in the same game, um, and then he's out until probably the new year. It's, it, it, they've had terrible luck with players. Defensively, he's not had, to have a, he's not had a settled back for um, all season. And um, and yeah, it, it's it's been it's been a struggle. That being said, um, I think he has been he has made some mistakes, quite a few mistakes. I think he's persisting with a sort of a not a possession style, but playing it out from the back, taking a lot of risk. And if you've got a makeshift back four, you need to simplify it a little bit. And they've got someone like Gary Medine um, to get the ball up to. And, you know, as Charlie was saying, you can create anything out of nothing from Gary Medine because it's literally just a flick on. You got the pace of the eights in behind. Play into that a little bit more. So I do think he's made mistakes, um, and I do think he's um, he's on a tightrope. But I don't think Blackpool will sack him just yet. I think they will allow him a little bit more time, and I think he does deserve just a little bit more time just to get his ideas across, get players back fit, and then go again in in December and see where they go from there. So Wigan parted company with Liam Richardson in the week, Charlie. It caught me a bit by surprise. Were you the same? I was. We'd 
we've been on a on a bad run. I think we'd lost six games in a row, and then we picked up a draw against Swansea, and then we went on a two 0 loss against Coventry. But if you look at the trajectory that Coventry on, it was always going to be hard for us to get a result from that. And the day after that result, our chairman put a tweet out and he was talking about unity and how we all needed to come together throughout the difficult times. And then two days later, you've just gone and sacked a manager that you've just given a new contract three weeks ago. And I get that we're going through a bad patch, but show me a side who hasn't gone through a rough patch in the championship. Like It, it happens. And also try and find me a manager that is going to put in the level of commitment that Liam Richardson has. You know, he's he stuck with us when we went through administration. He saw that Paul Cook, Paul Cook departed and he could stay with the club, and he did. And he even dropped that back down to assistant manager again when John Sheridan came. John Sheridan left after 15 games. Richardson took back over. Everything that happened with Charlie White's life, I don't know. To me, it's a very ambitious move to get rid of him, and I don't know if it is the right call, but only time is going to tell if it is the right call. I do think that we could have saved the season and stayed safe with him, but equally, I think that we can do it without him. I just don't know where we're going to go from here. But, you know, Wigan's a club that founds itself on Community Club of the Year, and it's a very family club, very family-orientated. And Richardson had all them values that we really needed within a manager to connect the fan base. And now he's gone, so... I don't know. It's going to be a very difficult role to fill. I don't know who does it, but I just hope that the board has got this one right. Who would you want to see come in, Charlie? I don't know. There's a few names being listed. Neil Critchley's up there. Rob Edwards is up there. Um, a surprise one that I saw this morning, which I don't know if there's any concrete evidence to, is Stephen Gerrard. Um, I really don't think he would, but you know, I saw his name, name being bounded about this morning. Rob Edwards is a funny one for me. I think that the Forest Green fans and the Watford fans hold him really, really highly. It's just his experience in the championship. It's, it's not really there. I think he's only managed 12 games in the championship. So I don't really know if he's the kind of manager that we need to go for. But if he is, I would hope it's more long-term projects and we can see the best of him, especially with Watford and the Forest Green fans holding him so highly. I think that he must be able to bring a lot to the table. Neil Critchley has managed over 100 games more than he has in his professional management career. So the, the experience there is what we need. And I think that if it can keep us safe, it needs to be whoever can do a long-term project. I think looking at your Sean Dyche, your Steven Gerrard's way too ambitious. We're just never going to get them. And I think it will come down to Critchley or Edwards. I think that's where we're going to go. Jacob and Charlie, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hate for Late. In the meantime, Justin and I will be heading off around the grounds and we'll kick things off with Luton, who played their first game since the departure of Nathan Jones to Southampton. Mick Harford was in caretaker charge as the Hatters drew one all with Rotherham. Ian Robertson's from We Are Luton Town. Ian, how was the game, first of all? The game itself was uh, quite distinctly average. You know, a lot of heart and endeavour from both sides, but lacked the quality. I think it was... Obviously, a victim of the schedule for both teams, really, and a, a draw was kind of the right result. We peppered all, all day, but just didn't have the quality in the final third, that final pass to equalise after they scored in the first minute. Um, it's easy to say we were unlucky. I don't think we were. We didn't show enough quality, really, but we did deserve the goal. We were we kept going at it all game, and, you know, in the end, uh, you know, we did get the equaliser, and I think both teams will say, oh, that's a fair result. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Rotherham themselves looked pretty strong at the back, similar to us, set up 
for the counter and defend really well, quite resolute. But like I say, both teams really suffering with uh, with injuries and fatigue. I think the rest has come at the right time. So Nathan Jones left Luton to go to Southampton in the week. Ian, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, a lot has changed since we last spoke, which wasn't that long ago. And Nathan Jones has earned his, quite rightly, richly deserved move to Southampton. You know, we've got to be realistic and say that we knew it was going to come at some point. You know, he's done a terrific job under us and he deserves the move. There's no real will, all done in the right way. And, you know, Southampton, are, you know, a very similar club, apart from obviously the size of club, um, training ground and the ground itself. But um, they're running a similar way and, you know, he'll love that and it suits him. Uh, we got a nice little payout from it, whether it's nearer to the four million mark or not, I don't know, but it helps. Yeah, I think it's a good move for him and, uh, you know, whether he keeps him up or not, I think he'll do well there and, and they'll stick with him. So best luck to him and, you know, it's all about us looking at who we, who we want next. And now, of course, the search is on for a new manager. So who would you like to see come in? I think of my, my, my top three for who, who would want to replace Nathan Jones are probably Critchley, um, O'Neill at Bournemouth and Rob Edwards, no particular order really, but I think um, O'Neill has done a really good job at Bournemouth to swing their fortunes around a little bit and pick their heads up off the floor after you know, the, the job that Scott Parker did in the Premiership with them. Um, he's done a really good job, I think. Um, if they're in the Championship, I think they offer him the job. Um, so that says a lot. Um, Critchley, one of the top 16 highly qualified coaches in the world, did a really good job at Blackpool. So... Um, you know, he's a good candidate and I really, really like Rob Edwards as well. Did a good job at Forest Green and I don't think he did a bad job at Watford either. But um, I know a lot of Luton fans wouldn't like him, but I do think he suits us. So either of them three would be would be great for me, I think. Um, maybe O'Neill, I think, is front run at the moment. Cheers, Ian. Justin, we'll talk more about the latest with Luton's search for a new manager in the news. Rotherham went ahead early on. Luton spent much of the game knocking on the door and eventually equalised with a bit of fortune from Luke Berry. Yeah, he's um, he's a player who's impressed me every time he's, he's played and he's not really played that very often, but his cost to game record is, is very, very good. Um, but I, I, I think after an emotional week um, and a relatively below-par performance against Stoke, I think this was... Um, a good performance from from Luton, and I think scoring in the last minute um, through Luke Berry, I think is it will certainly send um, Luton fans uh, well relatively happy going into the World Cup, and I think there should be a lot of optimism um, going into going into this international break because it's the start of a new chapter. It should be exciting. I know it's sad because Nathan Jones has left, but it should be exciting. And I think this performance um, should give them a sound platform, and as I say, it should give supporters a, a, a lot of hope for for going into the, the rest of the season. And as I say, Luke Berry's um, coming into coming into form and fitness as well, which is a major, major positive. It's interesting that Rotherham scored after fifty five seconds in this game, <laughs> but then Luton equalised in the ninetieth minute. I wonder if there's ever been a greater disparity in terms of when mm. the only two goals in a game came. I'm, I'm assuming there must have been like one deep into injury time, but I'd be very interested if someone could tell me when that was. Uh, but one win in six for Luton. They've only lost twice in that time, but they've seemingly taken their foot off the gas since that drubbing by Watford. I think there are quite a few teams in the Championship who will be welcoming this World Cup break. Luton will be one of them because they haven't been in spectacular form so I'll be mm. appreciative of the chance to reset Rotherham 
weren't in spectacular form prior to this week, but away trips to Sheffield United and Luton, taking four points from that. Very good tally for them, isn't it? Yeah, the, the form hasn't been good, but I think the performances have been um, yeah, okay, relatively um, relatively okay. I don't think they've been um, getting absolutely hammered. I think in terms of chances against Burnley and um, at times against Norwich, perhaps you could you could argue that. But I think they've been well worth um, a few more points in this in these last four games. But as you say, two away trips, one to Luton, one to Sheffield United, two really hard places to go. I know Luton's form at home this season hasn't been um, hasn't been great, but you take four points um, from those two games. I think it's a, a major major positive. And as I say. If you've got a team who have been tipped for for relegation and they're outperforming their expectations, um, like Rotherham are, um, I think it's a, a major major positive. Um, but in this game, as you say, I think um, the scoring quite early. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing scoring so early um, because I think both teams' game plans sort of go out the window because. Obviously, Luton have got to shift and, and, and get a gear on and just keep going uh, and obviously get a goal back. But Rotherham, I think your mindset changes. You start to try and maybe defend a lead, especially away from home. And I think that's what they, they, they did. Their mindset just, just sat into a defensive mindset um, rather than taking the game to Luton a little bit more. But I think it's a positive result nonetheless. It won't feel like that. But as I say, going away to a team chasing promotion and getting a point is um, is a positive result. They scored too early is what you're trying exactly. to say. It's a Way cliche, but early. they did. Mm. Yeah, they did. There was a huge game on Sunday afternoon, the first East Lancashire derby in the league for six years, and even more juicy as it was second v third, but ended up being very one-sided as Burnley beat Blackburn 3-0. Blackburn managed just one shot in this game, a completely dominant performance from the Clarets, and being perfectly honest, a pretty embarrassing performance from Blackburn, man for man. It looked like every Burnley player just wanted it more than the Blackburn players. I'd, I, I had no idea what the Blackburn game plan was. No. And the few times they had the ball, they were knocking it long to try and counter Burnley. But when Kaminsky had the ball, they were playing it short and repeatedly losing mm. possession. It seems like that's completely contrasting styles of play. So I'd be extremely disappointed if I was a Blackburn fan after this performance because it's the first time you've played your big rivals in six years. You haven't beat them in in 12 years. And you play like that. One shot all game. Awful. <laughs> it's incredibly disappointing. I think just lending into what you were saying about the game plan, um, when you've got Sam Gallagher and Ben Brighton Diaz up front, why not get the ball into them? Um, why, not, why not try and play off them uh, and start to gain percentages up the pitch? Um, I thought the Sheffield United game should have served as a, a very good bit of homework for, for Blackburn going into, the, into this game because Burnley were rocked last week and they were rocked because um, in the second half especially Sheffield United were direct they were aggressive they, they were intense and they and they and they um, turned the cog, well, turned the gears up um, and Sheffield United, uh, Burnley couldn't couldn't handle it they couldn't handle that approach they couldn't handle the high press but Blackburn they just sat so deep in their own third um, I think Burnley I think what, what, what Stefan in midweek was sat against his post. I think Murich could have done the same thing. Um, Gallagher, Sam Gallagher only had 13 touches. He's a big guy. You can play off him. I know it seems really simple, but there's an opportunity there to play off him and get, as I say, get further up the pitch, get your team out of their um, out of their camp as it as it was. Uh, and then Ben Brown's only had 19 touches as well. It was um, a really really disappointing performance and, and one that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think Blackburn were ever going to be automatic promotion contenders come the end of the season, but I think this performance pretty much sums up why they're not going to be that. They've got to be a little bit more, a lot, a little bit braver going into that, um, going into that game. They weren't. It was a really, really disappointing performance that really angered me as an away fan. 
Yeah, Burnley can be got at. We saw that with the Sheffield yeah. United game and Blackburn didn't really look like they wanted to get at Burnley. And as we say, when it's a rivalry that isn't played that often, occasions like this are few and far between. You want to see your team actually go up and show that they want to get a result, but that just didn't seem to be the case here. So it was a shocking performance, but as listeners to the podcast very well know by now, this isn't the first time we've seen Blackburn not play well this season. I think it's truly unprecedented that we're seeing this team sat in third, despite the fact I could list the number of times they've been clearly the better team on one hand this season. And it says a lot, ladies and gentlemen, when I've singled out aside for constant criticism this season and Justin Peach is agreeing with me. Usually he tries to balance out that criticism with some praise, but I've noticed even you're struggling to disagree with me on this one, Justin. It is. Look, you you know what? Fair play to Blackburn for being third at the World Cup break, because that is a phenomenal achievement. It honestly is, but I am fairly certain this team won't be in the top six come the end of the season. It comes down to many different reasons, but one is that they their fairly average performances will catch up with them eventually. It's the law of averages, isn't it? It's a very simple thing in, in football, and especially championship. Um, I think we mentioned quite a few weeks ago that it's it's very rare that teams manage to outrun their data. And I know Blackburn fans don't want to hear data because they've been clinical, and they have, and it's got them to the position where they're in. But good, sustainable seasons are built on good performances, good controlling performances where you create chances and keep the opposition out. Um, and Blackburn haven't done that consistently enough this season, which does show in their record. They haven't drawn any games yet um, and they've and they've almost lost as many as, as they've won. Um, that isn't consistency, even though they have had uh, a good run of uh, a good run of wins. Um, and as I say, I think sustainable performances is much more, is a much better is a much positive than sustainable um, results because one's going to outlast the other, which is, is, is performances. You look at Leeds, for example, um, they went for a rocky patch in their promotion season, but they were creating chances after chances, which is why no one was worried about them. Um, and then they got back to it and they won the league. Um, that, that's, the, that's, that's, that's the direction we're pointing in. That's the direction Blackburn need to head in. But performances like this um, has been repeated on many times this season, which I think Blackburn fans just need to wake up to a little bit. It would be remiss of us not to give Burnley an equal amount of no. praise for the amount of criticism levelled at Blackburn just in. They went into the first half level and some teams may have began to panic heading into that second half. But I think Burnley were aware of the quality players they have. And if they just kept on playing their game, it would eventually get them some form of result. And it eventually did here in some style, didn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, it really was a good performance. I thought the first half was um, it was it was steady. It was good. Um, obviously, didn't didn't get the goal, but they were they were knocking on the door of Blackburn, and they they had them camped in. I don't think um, I can't recall Blackburn getting into the Burnley half too often in the game, um, especially in the first half. I think they managed to weather the five minute spell in the second half, straight after the uh, straight after half time. Um, I think ben, the only shot of the game from Ben Bradge Diaz um, was was easily saved by Murich and obviously led to a corner. But Burnley managed the spells um, with the ease. They managed them a lot better than obviously they did uh, last week against against Sheffield United. Probably learned their lessons. And company coming out of that game against Sheffield United said, "I, I sort of dis- I was disappointed with it." But he said the best way to avoid those types of situations like they did against the Sheffield United is to to control the game, um, control the game better, and they did that. Um, they did that really with, with ease, um, which again is just a surprise in a derby. But it was those moments of quality from Zaruri um, that really separated, it. and that's what you need in tight derby games. Um, although this wasn't too tight, 
so yeah really really impressive win and um yeah i think very brave from company to persist with what he was doing um i think that just again just just showcases how good a coach he's going to be or he is yeah the individual talent on show were fantastic zorori that cross for the first goal was <laughs> inch perfect but then josh brown hill had another amazing game ashley barnes is coming for a bit of criticism from us on occasions this season justin but he was he was great the burnley defense I mean, they've restricted Blackburn to just one shot. I don't think they were ever really stretched at any point, but they did their job, didn't they? So a really, really well done professional performance by them. And they head into the World Cup top of the table, Justin, having only lost two games this season. They've won five of their last six games with the only blotch on their record in that respect is that shocking second half against (laughs) Sheffield United last weekend. But I'm back on track with the feeling that Burnley could very well be sat top of the table now for the rest of the season potentially yeah yeah I think I might chuck another egg in the basket to be honest with you um oh yes we haven't visited the Burnley going up basket in a while I think last time we checked Justin had two eggs in that basket of course we don't want to put all our eggs in one basket um but are you are you how many more eggs are you considering putting in there Justin I'll chuck in another egg obviously we're going into the the international break now anyway just three Um, just three eggs Justin just three, because I'd like to see where they come, where where they are after this prolonged period, where Vincent Company is going to have more time to work with the players, um, and obviously the new signings have got more time to bed in. Um, but as I was saying, I think this performance is, gives us a lot to learn about Burnley and how they react to a a really really bad second half performance. Um, and you know, it's it's the making of a good team if you respond well like they did. Um, I think that's worth. I think that's worth another egg. Yeah, go on, stick another one in. I'm not going to go on. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm not pandering to this peer pressure. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep it at three eggs and and see where they are because they might come back after an international break. They might have had four weeks in Dubai, been on the piss every week, and they're all overweight and bloated, and then they blow it. You never know. I don't I, know. I, think, happened, I think at this point, if I was in your shoes, I'd be putting probably half my eggs in that basket at this point because they're looking a very good bet for what if going up, aren't they? What if I've only got three eggs? No, we we agreed at the start. You've got a dozen eggs. Oh, okay. Well, I forgot about that. But okay, fair enough. No, I'll how, stick with how three. many eggs I'll are in a with... dozen eggs, Justin? Twelve. Okay, just making sure. Just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's three on the three wins on the bounce now for West Brom. They've won more games under Carlos Corbran than they had done under Steve Bruce this season. The latest victory came at home to Stoke, who they beat two 0 Brandon Thomas Asante scoring a spectacular <laughs> overhead kick, Justin Peach. How high does that rate on Justin Peach's controversial worldy scale? Controversial worldy scale? I think that rates quite highly. I think anyone who scores an overhead kick deserves a lot of praise because this was an overhead kick. And plus, it's really it's really high in the air and it's coming down. I think they're the highest ones because I think if you meet them mid, um, mid-height mid and they've got momentum behind them, I think they're easy to direct because you just use the power from the cross. Whereas Brandon Thomas Asante's got to direct this and generate loop and power on the overhead, which I imagine is very hard. I don't think I've ever pulled one off, and I'm sure if I did, every bone in my spine um, will be, well, it's just one, well, there's quite a lot of bones, actually. Uh, anyway, it will be, I'll be in ser- uh, serious trouble. Um, but yeah, this, this it was a beautiful goal. Um, and he's a player who needs a lot of confidence because um, he's so likeable as well. He's, he plays with a smile on his face, and he, and he fully deserved that because... Under Steve Bruce, West Brom were poor, but he was one of the shining lights and he deserves more game time. I think that will prove uh, to Corbyn that um, that he's capable of stepping up. I hadn't really considered about the trajectory of the ball prior to him striking it because the fact Mm. he's just coming straight down 
I suppose he's got to time it as well to even connect with it. Yeah. But also, I imagine it's a hell of a lot easier for him to just sky it into row mm. Z when it's coming down like that. So not something I considered, but it's a very valid point. But it is a remarkable goal into an absolute beauty. The controversial question is, Justin, Thomas Asante's goal or Riley McGree's? Ooh. Oh, a scissor kick, though. Oh, God, that's hard. That's a coin toss, that is, because mm. I can't decide. It's a bit like what's better on a roast dinner, mashed potato or stuffing? Yeah. Yorkshire pudding stuffing. Stuffing. stuffing, every day of the week. Um, <laughs> I think I'd go for... Uh, Riley McGree's goal is probably more aesthetically pleasing, but mm. I think Asante's goal might be trickier to do. It's I very. It's, it, yeah, it's a coin toss. I'll agree with yeah. you on that. But it, I, I tell you what, it is remarkable the standard of goals we've seen in the championship this season. We're not even halfway yeah. through yet. I mean, Ishmael has got Ishmael Asar's from his own half, and Brad Potts's bicycle kick are two of the best goals I've ever seen in championship history. And then we've also had these two goals this weekend, plus a host of others. I'm not sure if there's any science behind why we've seen such spectacular goals this season, but I think some of them would easily win goal of the season in seasons past that we've covered the championship pod, mm-hmm. uh, Justin. So, yeah, it's a pretty pretty remarkable how good some of the goals we've seen have been. But back to the game, West Brom suddenly loving life under Carlos Corbran again, aren't they? There's still unhappiness about how the club is being run and there have certainly been protests about that. But on the pitch, there is some positivity again, isn't there? I think they'll be one of the club's few clubs, actually, who will be a bit annoyed about the World Cup break because all this momentum they've built up out of nowhere is going to be put to a stop for a month. So it'll be interesting to see if they carry on after the World Cup. But wins were looking miles away under Steve Bruce, weren't they? Confidence was rock bottom. But Carlos Corbrand, to turn it around so quickly with three wins is very impressive. They've also kept three clean sheets, which is more than they managed under Steve Bruce this season too. And keep in mind, Carlos Cobrand has managed nowhere near as many games as Steve Bruce had this season. Um, so any fears of a shock relegation are starting to dissolve. It's still very early in Carlos Cobrand's tenure to start declaring everything is great again. And there's still a long way to go uh, with numerous hurdles along the way. But I think his start has gone as well as it could have done considering how bad everything was. Yeah, and considering that Sheffield United first half performance as well, we, we I, I mean I was thinking, oh Christ, he's he's in for it here. He's he's got a struggle, um, but they've recovered and the confidence is building. The clean sheets, the clean sheets are massive. Um, it's I think if you build a team from clean sheets, uh, from getting clean sheets, I think it's I think it's the most stable way of, of, of doing it rather than games being open. Um, but I think it's the fact that the defensive minor players. Um, at West Brom are performing now. Um, I think that's a major, major positive. If you look at Carl Bartley and how his form's turned around. He's been, he's been brilliant since uh, in the last three games. Um, uh, Akai Soklu as well has been absolutely superb. And Connor Townsend's come into his own as well. Um, and again, I think any successful core brand team is built around the success and the confidence, quality of the defensive mining players. And if they're going, then I think that's going to um, release the attackers uh, a lot more. And I'd, well, I mean, we've not seen the best of Jed Wallace yet or Grady Dean Garner. Um, so the steps that West Brom got to take to, to improve are still there. But I think it's, if, they're, if they're getting results now on clean sheets with them not performing, they're only going to get better. It was great news as well for Daryl DK, who made his first appearance since getting injured in July. His return may have actually come at a good time because if it was a bit earlier... 
the USA may have called in up to the World Cup squad, but if I was West Brom, I'd be wrapping him up in bubble wrap for the next month to make sure he avoids any more injuries and comes back fully fit after the World Cup. Stoke were bullied by West Brom here. They had a couple of bright moments, but it ended up being quite comfortable for the home side. And it's now five losses in seven for Alex Neal's side. 17th in the table, but just two points above the bottom three. Now, deep down, Justin, I'm not too worried about Stoke and the threat of relegation, but I'm not sure if I should be more concerned. I think I think um, through the course of the season, Stoke will win enough games not to go down. Um, that being said, if they're in that position where they've they, they, they're looking over the shoulder, I think that's incredibly poor considering this quality of the squad that they've got. And make no mistake about it, the squad's good enough to be punching around mid-table. Um, but I just don't think, and I've said it time and time again, I just think there's enough balance in the team. Um, if if, uh, if if Neil wants to play wingers, he's got one one out-and-out winger in, in Tariq Fosso. If he wants to play wing-backs, he's got one out-and-out winger in Josh Tymon. Um, there's just no balance to the team. Um, and the recruitment is dreadful and it's directionless. Much like the club, to be honest with you, it's, it's completely directionless. And I don't think a manager is going to be successful at Stoke City until... The place is gutted uh, and built from the ground up um, because it's it's the, the hangover is, is 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 still there from from the Gary Rowett spending era. Um, it, it's still it's still hanging over the club. Um, clubs they've had to shift players on. They've had to plug gaps with below average players and they're on longer contracts and high wages, um, and they're still there. So I just don't think it's allowed the likes of Nathan Jones or Mark O'Neill to build. And now Alex Neal's dealing with the hangover of those two tenures. Um, I just don't think anyone can be successful, and I think it's down to that. I don't think there's a curse. I just think it's piss poor management from the uh, from the board. Well, consistency has just been non-existent this season, has it? I don't think injuries have helped with that. But Stoke have a bigger squad than most teams down in the bottom half of the table, so I don't think there's really an excuse for that. Looking at what Alex Neal has said after the game, he seems to think they'll be much better in the second half of the season, which I can get behind because yeah. a fully fit Harry Souter then others, others coming back like Josh Laron, Dujon Sterling. It gives the team a lot more balance, which has been a big concern for you, hasn't it, Justin? So I'm pretty confident they'll be much better in the second half of the season. Having said that, they shouldn't really be in 17th place in the first yeah. place, should they? So, yeah, it's my. I don't have high expectations for Stoke to do something miraculous in the second half of the season, but... It shouldn't be as bad as it has been in this first half anyway. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about another win for Coventry and Sheffield United getting back on track against Cardiff. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Coventry have now won four on the bounce after a brace from Victor Jokerez gave them a 2-0 victory against QPR. The super Swede, Justin, he probably should have got a hat-trick actually, but he continues to be in top form. Now joint top scorer in the league. And I think Coventry might be a bit fortunate that he's not going to the World Cup to <laughs> really put him on the shopping list for a few clubs if he did have a good tournament. But even now, I imagine plenty will be eyeing him up, won't they? 
Yeah, without doubt, he's a he's a very good goal scorer, and I think we were saying it in midweek or, or, or in last week's episode that not only is he a good goal scorer, but he can carry the ball, he can make runs um, into space. He's, he's got a lot of energy as well to to press, so he can he can suit a variety of systems. Um, he's a really enjoyable player to to watch um, because, as I say, if you just get the ball into his feet, he'll just carry it. Um, he'll just carry. It, he doesn't care. He's just like he's just like that annoying kid um, at football training sessions where he just just wants to run with it. And, and fair enough, he's, he's managed to prosper into a very good professional footballer. Um, I think he's finishing. I think I said it again like the other week. His finishing can improve, but he's still a, he's still a good finisher, and he's showing that. Um, and I think it's the first goal. If you consider this this first goal against QPR, um, how it's just rebounding. I mean, liquid liquid football in terms of the tiki taka rebounds from several different players. But he's quick to it. He's alive to it, and that's a really good strike. That's what really good strikers do. They're quick to those balls, loose balls, um, and a similar similar um, situation with the second goal as well. Top, top forward and um, quite easily one of the best in their division. He really has got it all. And he can score all types of goals, whether it be with his head, poaching around in the penalty box or dribbling from the halfway line by himself and then slotting in after a long run. But he's quick, strong, can hold up the ball. He's just a marvellously gifted striker who I've no doubt will be playing Premier League football at some point, considering he's still only 24 as well. So he's got plenty of room to grow. I think Coventry will be banking on clubs tending not to splash much money in January for him <laughs> to stay at the club. But if he keeps scoring and playing as well as he has been, it might only be a matter of time before a Premier League side looks at him and thinks he'll be worth it, whatever the price tag is. Because he's so good in pretty much every department, I think there'll be plenty of clubs looking at him and appreciating the quality that he's got. But it is 22 points from a possible 27 for Coventry. Remarkable now just two points off the playoffs, which is some turnaround, isn't it? Considering where they were not too long ago. I think out of every side in the Championship, they're the one who will be most annoyed about the World Cup break because of the momentum they've got. But unfortunately, that's just the way it's gone and they'll have to keep on building after the World Cup break, won't they? At the opposite end of that scale is QPR. One point from five games. I don't think they've been as bad as that form suggests, though, Justin. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I struggle to avoid the same old narrative with QPR that when Elias Chair or Chris Willock don't play well, QPR don't play well. And I did ask myself before saying that, is that just lazy analysis? But the fact is that they are two Premier League quality players, aren't they? The rest of the side, with the odd exception, is made up of good to very good championship players. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to be relying on your two best players for results. In fact, it obviously makes common sense. It's just, I think there needs to be more of a plan B for when those two aren't on it. Because I struggle to see what that plan B is. Now, this was a problem for Mark Warburton and it's obviously becoming a problem for Mick Beale as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think what I would add in there is, is a more dynamic number nine. Um, Lyndon Dykes is very limited. In, in what he can do he's, he's a good enough player at championship level um, but if you want someone who's going to link up with the likes of Chair and, and Willock um, you need someone who's a, is probably a bit more mobile probably a bit bit of pace about them um, because although they're a lone striker when you've got a front three of Chair, Willock and um, and whoever's yeah, in that in that number nine slot for QPR um it's going to be an advanced forward three where they're going to be in around the box playing one twos. Um, and I think Dykes just wants crosses in the box, whereas, whereas someone who's linking up with those two will really, really help them. And I think that, that will answer a lot of the problems. 
maybe Tyler Roberts was 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 supposedly meant to be that sort of player, and he's not really kicked on um, as I'd have hoped because I think he was a, he was a good signing. Um, but I think that's the missing link for Cooper. It's just a, someone who's more dynamic in that final third than than perhaps Lyndon Dykes, which is unfair on Lyndon Dykes because he's been scoring goals. Um, but if you want to build a team around players, you've got to build them around your best players. Um, and I think QPR are just beginning that journey probably at the wrong time. I feel like they could use a bit more in midfield as well. There's, mm. there's certainly areas where they can get better. Um, injuries also haven't helped recently. But yeah, I, I'd like to see just a, a, an extra man who can you know inspire QPR to uh, a win as opposed to just those two all the time. Uh, George Bordock's second goal in three seasons gave Sheffield United a 1-0 win away at Cardiff. Not a great performance by the Blades in the first half. Was better in the second half. Not the most convincing overall, but Paul Heckingbottom will take it, won't he? Yeah, I think if you if you were to outline objectives before this game, it was to not lose any more players to injury probably keep a clean sheet and not lose going into national break. And I mean, they took two of those, um, but sadly they lost Jack Robinson to, um, to a muscle injury in the first half. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's just hockey, but it was just a sigh of relief just to get this first stage of the season out of the way, get into the international break and just, just get players back fit. But um, I think that's the thing with Sheffield United is the main talking point is just why are players breaking down so often? Um, what is happening? I know there was training ground issues last season, but nothing seems to have come of it. Um, but as I say, you just you just ask questions. Why why does why does it keep happening? Because when we were talking about them in the summer, um, we were saying last season their issues were squad depth. Um, they addressed the squad depth, but now the squad depth is getting injured. Um, so there's just so many question marks. And as I say, I don't think Sheffield United can really hit their top gear until they've got a fully fit squad, which is quite staggering considering how well they've played so far this season. And I think this performance just epitomised it. They looked tired, they looked leggy, um, they looked like they were patched up um, and they just needed to get it done. And they did, got three points. Let's get out of here. Interesting. James McAtee had a good game after coming off the bench. Bullock and Stevens were good at wing-back as well. After a very disappointing loss at home to Rotherham in midweek, it means Sheffield United head into the break with four wins from five, which I think any manager would definitely take, wouldn't they? Only 20 teams in Championship history have scored fewer goals after 21 games. And then Cardiff City, just 17 scored. And I think it's safe to say that is the obvious issue of this Cardiff side, isn't it, Justin? Yeah, and I think it just raises more question marks as to why Steve Morrison was sacked um, because those problems are persisting under Mark Hudson. Um, now, they have looked probably marginally better, um, but I don't think they've improved, improved massively. Um, and it's not a criticism of Hudson. I just think it's symptomatic of, of what needed to be added into the squad. They did a lot of a lot of surgery in the summer. Um, but if you look at this game in particular, they got into some good areas, but decision-making was just really below par. Um and again, I don't think that's down to the quality of players or, or, or coaching. I just think they needed a little bit more um, than, than, than what they've got. So, yeah, it was a disappointing performance. Um, but the lack of goals is a, is a major concern. And um, they're not exactly a defensively sound team. They're not incredible defensively. Um, there are a lot of improvements that need to be made there as well. But um, they're a team that need to get a lot more out of their attack. Um, and if they aren't, then they're defensively they've got to be outstanding and, and they're not. So... Just, just just, raise a bit of worries there. I, it's not a surprise for me that this Cardiff side is struggling going forwards. I highlighted the lack of quality 
uh, attackers they had before the season started. Now, they brought in all these new players and I did say I wasn't sure whether some of them were actually good enough to be playing week in, week out at this level. Callum Robinson's a good striker, but he does need a good few sights at goal to actually score. Callum O'Dowder was bang average at Bristol City. Admittedly, he's done better than I expected in a Cardiff shirt, but still not good enough on a regular basis. It's been a long time since I've seen Shea Ojo play well. Mark Harris, I know he's not a new signing, but I'm not totally convinced he's good enough to play regularly at championship level. And then Jaden Philogene blows hot and cold. They've got to strengthen the front line in the transfer window. Otherwise, I think they could be in a bit of trouble because just 17 goals from 21 games is a pitiful amount. And you need goals to score to get you three points, don't you? Because goals win games at the end of the day. It's, it's simple to say, but it's true, isn't it? So it's got to be remedied in January. Otherwise, I do worry about Cardiff. Bristol City nil, Watford nil. Strangely, both Ishmael Asar and Jao Pedro were dropped to the bench for this one. Saar, I can understand, because he's got the World Cup coming up. I'm not sure about Pedro, though. Whatever the case, Watford didn't manage a single shot on target here, which is quite poor, considering how good the players they've got are. And they're also against a Bristol City side who are very leaky. Yeah, that's, um, that's sort of what I took away from this game is uh, if you're going to go at a team, it's Bristol City. Um, but I just I just think without Pedro and, and Saar, I think Pedro picked up a knock as well. I think British British said Pedro picked up a knock as well. He didn't want to risk him. Um, but I think without those two in in the team, they they looked um, they looked uh, very average. And I think Andy King was playing centre back as well, which um, again just raises more questions as to why they didn't get Keenan Davis on the ball a little bit more because that would have been a a, a very good showdown. Um, yeah, just a really disappointing performance. I think if if you're gonna um, if you're gonna not have your two best players in the squad, probably pay to the. I mean, Keenan Davis is good enough to lead the line on his own. We saw against Forest for Forest last season, um, but they just struggled to get into a gear. Um, and I think, I guess, as I say, if you're missing your best players like Lauser, Pedro, and Saw, Watford look like an average team, and sadly they did. And obviously, losing Dan Gosling to injury as well is is a massive, massive blow. So yeah, frustrating uh, result, but it's a clean sheet. Uh, I'll take that. You take that, wouldn't you? Clean sheet. Perhaps Andy King all this time has just been a mastermind defensively and should have been playing centre-back his whole career. It's the answer. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe this is the thing that uh, we, we're really missing here. Um, but yeah, that, that midfield of Dan Gosling, Kembe, and Chowdhury doesn't scream creative brilliance, does it? So that, that would be another problem for me. And there's just a, a massive lack of creativity in that Watford side in general. Uh, Dan Gosling, who you did mention there, Justin, strange moment in this game, went down with... No one around him. It turned out he's done his Achilles, mm-hmm. so he's going to be out for a long time. But he was also absolutely furious at the medical staff. I think he was indicating to them that he wanted to come off, carried on play, and then obviously did that. So that's why he was so annoyed at the medical staff. But he was just shouting at them constantly while he was given while he was getting treatment from them. And even when he was being stretched off the pitch, he was still shouting at them. So it was a very strange moment but yeah got a feel for Dan Gosling um, speaking of players who suffered bad injuries Nathan Baker who obviously had to retire not too long ago after um, after a head injury that he suffered a good year or so ago now um, came out before this game to thank the Bristol City supporters for the support they've given him during the, 
during the last few weeks since he announced his retirement. So that was a nice moment in this game. Liam Rosinha suffered his first loss as Hull boss after a 93rd minute own goal from Ryan Longman. Saw them beaten 2-1 at home to Reading. Only 14 teams have conceded more goals in championship history than Hull after 21 games. They've conceded 39. And it's something we've mentioned repeatedly on this show, Justin, but that defence... Liam Rosinia really needs to sort that out during the World Cup, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think he will. Um, if you look at uh, what they did for Derby last season, they got them very. Um, he got them very structured. They, he got them very, uh, and I'm saying him because he did all the coaching under Wayne Rooney. He, he got them very structured. He got them very resolute. Got them very organised. Now he did have the um, he did have the uh, positives of having the likes of Curtis Davis, experienced players to. To organise, I think that's just something they're missing at the back. They're missing that experience because right from the goalkeeper to well, yeah, right from the goalkeeper to the back four, there's just it's just lacking um, a, a leader in there. And I think that's one thing that's going to massively help. Um, but as well as that, it's just simplifying things because um, I think their defence is good enough to not concede as many goals as they have. There are there are leakier teams, I would think, in this division. Um, so I think it's just fine tuning things and probably bringing in. Maybe one or two more, um, just to bolster that back line um, in January, which I'm, I'm sure I'm sure will happen. But as I say, I think I think the main thing they're missing is a, is a, is a leader in there, and, and Rosinha will will get them organised. It's just a matter of time, I think. Just Reading's second win in ten games, so much needed for them. One thing to keep an eye on, though, for Reading is I think they've got the most players going to the World Cup out of every side: Baba Rahman, oh. Andy Eardham, yeah, Mamadou yeah. Laum, Junior Hoylet. So. Is worth saying. I'm not sure how far those players and their countries will go in the tournament. My instincts would say probably not very far. But the fact that their players, those players, will be continuing during the World Cup is uh, interesting. Reading's look, they will get to the quarters semi final and they will be missing for the first few weeks. Well, Rahman and Yid both play for Ghana. So if they were they to have a good tournament, then that would be a bit of a nightmare for Reading, <laughs> considering they're not flush for options at fullback. And uh, they're both their starting fullbacks, aren't they? So that would be mm-hmm. interesting if that were to happen. But uh, yeah, as I say, one to keep an eye on. A Zion Fleming hat-trick gave Millwall a 4-2 win away at Preston. The Bermondsey Burkamp, what a player he is, Justin. When Millwall brought him in, we expected him to be a good player because they spent a lot of money on him by Millwall standards. But even then, I think he surpassed my expectations. And he's turning out to be a ridiculously good value signing. I think if you take a step back for a second, how much they spent on him? Was it two million? If Burnley, for example, paid two million for Zion Fleming and he was playing regularly in their team, I think we'd be lording up how good a signing it is. But... Because it's Millwall, and this is a fairly big money signing by their standards, I don't think it gets recognised enough how good of signing this is because he's been fantastic. He can score with both feet. He is a brilliant passer of the ball. He loves to have a crack at goal because he's bloody good at having a crack at goal. I'm just astonished how brilliant a talent this guy is. But he's turning out to be a cracking signing for Millwall, isn't he? He's a brilliant signing, um, and I think it pays a lot to the the Millwall recruitment team for being able to identify him and 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 convince him to to join um, to join Millwall. Because if you if you look at teams who could have been in for him, who probably should have been in for him, um, there might have been teams who are probably more guaranteed for a promotion push than than perhaps Millwall. Um, 
and yeah, I just think he's, he's a quality player. And I do think he's blown hot and cold, actually, this season. Uh, I don't think he's really hit full gear yet. Um, obviously, uh, it, he's probably catching up on fitness, getting used to the league, getting used to um, getting used to the country as well, although it's not that, that far away from the from Netherlands. Um, yeah, I think he. I think his pace is only going to get better, um, which is which is quite frightening. But I think if you consider the the good work that Gary Rowett has done in in implementing a more attacking side of play recently, to get more out of him, um, because I don't think he would be in as good of a form without that change. Um, that four two three one switch has proved to be um, a magnificent decision from from Gary Rowett because he's uh, he did something similar at Derby. Matai Vidra, uh, Matai Vidra couldn't score for love more love nor money. Put a four-two-three-one. Him behind a, a front man, and he just he just well, he got the golden boot. Um, I don't think Zion Fleming will, will, will get to that point um, of winning a golden boot, um, but he certainly can can push it close. He's a he's a tremendous player, and he's playing a tremendous system at the moment. Not a go around. I say that he's only eight goals for the season now. I think that's a good Justin, point. Which a good yeah, point. Yeah. means he's only yeah. one off being a joint top scorer. <laughs> but there's quite a few players up there. He also had to argue with the steward to get the ball after the game, which I very much enjoyed. Uh, Sunderland got that just their third win in eleven games by beating Birmingham two one on Friday night. Hard fought win for the Black Cats. A beautiful goal by Emma Diallo where he's sprinted down the wing, cut inside, and then hit a lovely shot, which was also bang in line with the camera, which I think does yeah, add yeah. some aesthetically pleasing points uh, to certain goals Ellis Sims scored as well which uh, is important considering he's been out with injury for uh, a fair few weeks now and then Huddersfield nil Swansea nil Huddersfield are very lucky to have a goalkeeper in Lee Nichols because otherwise they could be even further adrift at the bottom of the table right now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news. And Liam Richardson has been sacked by Wigan after picking up one point from seven games. It comes just two weeks after they gave him a new three-year contract. And that's very strange, Justin. I think the whole timing, there's a timeline here that I'm trying to piece together that just makes me speculate a little bit. Obviously, there was the news that broke about the the late payment of wages. Um, And then obviously the news of um, Richardson signing the, uh, the new deal timelines I I think it's a PR I think that new contract was a PR just to PR push just to get the the, the bad news of the the, the contract situation or the payment situation out of the way that's that's my thoughts on it Um, but it's just incredibly disappointing because I think um, I think the work that Liam Richardson had done at at Wigan um, I think deserved he deserved a lot more time Um, I know a lot of Wigan fans have accused the the owner of just pandering a little bit to the frustrated Twitter supporters, um, which is never a good place to be. I think if you're an owner, just stay in the background. I think that's the the, the, the easiest place to be. But I think I don't think Wigan were going to go down. Um, I think I think Richardson was was a good enough coach to turn him around. And it was only a few weeks ago he was being linked with the West Brom job as well. Um, and I think he will come back uh, as a manager in the Championship. And I think he will prove to be a very good appointment for whoever picks him up because I think he's a very good manager. And I think Wigan Wigan. Um, I think we're going to shot themselves in the foot a little bit. I'm not sure I agree, Justin. I think I think Wigan were going to work on a one-way course to relegation. Now, I don't think that's necessarily Richardson's fault because I think the business that they did in the summer just wasn't enough. They only signed a handful of players and even then the players they did bring in were more just kind of squad players as opposed to first-team options. So maybe he's not at fault for that, but... You just have to look at the run of form that they're on. It's just been shocking. I don't think they've been playing as badly as 
the form represents. But at the same time, you know, something's got to be done. Otherwise, Wigan will go down. And when you're running a football club, um, you can have all the... uh, you know, respect for what a manager has done. I mean, Richardson did a fantastic job in getting this Wigan team from when they were in administration to back into the championship in the space of a season and a bit. But at the same time, the hierarchy at the club, their first and foremost uh, priority has got to be to keep the club in the championship. And it just didn't look like that was going to happen with Richardson. So it depends on who Wigan get in next. I imagine they've got options in mind. I've seen Neil Critchley link with the job. Um, that would be a fantastic appointment. But at, at the same time, I don't, I, I'm more on the side that I think this probably was the right thing to do for Wigan just because of how badly things have been going recently. Because um, I was penciling them in for relegation. So there needs to be a change. Who they bring in is obviously the next crucial thing. But at the same time, I think you've got to have a lot of respect for what Liam Richardson has done for the football club as a whole. Doesn't necessarily mean that he gets to keep his job for uh, the foreseeable future just because of that. Um, Nathan Jones's departure from Luton to Southampton has now been confirmed. I said on Thursday that it would get announced after we finished recording. I think it quite literally got announced as soon as we finished recording. Uh, PA are reporting that St Mirren boss Stephen Robinson is one of those under consideration for the job, along with ex-Blackpool manager Neil Critchley and Cambridge's Mark Bonner. Stephen Robinson, Justin? Nope. Don't do it. Why? Because he, he underwhelmed massively at Orkham for starters. Um and I think coming from the SPL into the Championship is a is a very difficult transition. Uh, Derek McGuinness struggled um, when he went to Aberdeen. Uh, sorry, when he went to Bristol City uh, quite a few years ago. Um, I just don't think it's a, an easy transition for managers to make. Um, and I think sometimes, uh, I think uh, speculation can get carried away when certain managers are doing well uh, in Scotland. Um, Jack Ross is another one. Sunderland struggled. Um, so for me, I'd avoid. I think there are better candidates than, than Stephen Robinson. Are you just tarring every Scottish manager with the no, same no, no. brush then? No, I think he did a really poor job. At, anyway, not a really poor job. But I don't think he um, was great at Morecambe. Um, and then he went back to, to Scotland. So for me, I would just I would just avoid it. It's just Stephen Robinson's um, managerial career in isolation isn't massively overall with success like someone like Neil Critchley who has proved to be a very good coach at this level and Rob Edwards who's probably got maybe more better credentials um, than anyway, in, um, for the championship for a championship job anyway better credentials than someone like Stephen Robinson Fair enough Mark Hodgson has now been confirmed as the Cardiff manager until the end of the season Cardiff haven't announced it but that's what he's told local media so that's a bit strange Blackpool striker Jerry Yates has won player of the month for October in the championship it's after scoring seven goals in seven games Burnley boss Vincent Company won manager of the month after getting 18 points from eight games and no losses Footy Insider says Rangers are interested in making QPR boss Mick Beale their new manager it's pre- it's as pressure grows on Gio Van Bronckhorst up north would that be a good move for Beal Justin swapping Rangers for Rangers? Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, no. Uh, I think Beal will stay at QPR. I think he's he's already committed to that for a, for a while because you can't say he's not going to jump ship um, at one job and then he jump ship at the next job. I think that's a pretty pretty strange thing to do. He's a good, he's a very good coach. I know QPR go for a sticky patch at the moment, um, but I rate Bill very high. And I think if they do add 
well in January. I think they'll be up there for a promotion push this season. Um, it's just whether or not they can get it right in January. Um, that being said, it's a different kettle of fish when you go up to to to, to Rangers in Scotland. And I was just bad mouthing Stephen Robinson and, and Scottish football, um, but it is a completely different environment going to to, to the big clubs. 18 of England's 26-man squad for the Qatar World Cup have played in the Championship at some point in their career. I actually found it very interesting this week, Justin, seeing which academies the players came from. There were more players in the squad from the Sheffield United Academy than any other academy in the country. And then two of them came from Coventry, two from Sunderland. Compare that to just one player from Arsenal, Manu and Spurs each. What do you think this tells us, Justin? I think the um, I think the system that the big clubs put in place it's always it called the English player performance um, thing where they where they're allowed to go and pluck the best talents from academies um, for very normal fees. I think that I think that tells us it's working very well for them um, because obviously they they're benefiting from it. But also I think the the quality of coaching down in the the lower leagues, quote unquote, um, is actually a lot more advanced than perhaps. Um, supporters of big clubs will, will like to admit um, because as I say the Sheffield United Academy has produced so many talented players I mean if you're not even looking at the English ones David Brooks for example who, who obviously is a Welsh international um, there are so many good players that come through at championship clubs um, because they're, they're they're well coached well invested uh, as well it's just that they benefit the, the big clubs benefit because um, rules allow them to Well I hope young players look at this and think to themselves or rather whoever makes the decision for young players, they look at this and they say, if I go to a lower league club, then it will probably be better for my career. Because I can only assume it comes down to lower league clubs being able to put in more attention into their really talented players. And most importantly, actually give them a chance in the first team. Because if you're an Arsenal or Man United, you might be able to have access to you know state-of-the-art facilities, coaches, etc. But... I don't think that's a substitute for attention from coaches. And plus, you'll probably just get shipped out on loan when you're at a stage ready to play at first team level anyway. So unless you're a seriously talented player, even then it's not guaranteed for you to actually get a sniff of first team action. So when you're a young lad and you have numerous clubs after you, I imagine the vast majority will go to the biggest club that's interested. But actually, I think this is proof that players should reconsider that um, but let's finish off Justin with a surprise fan of championship football footballing legend Roberto Carlos has revealed he watches the second tier on a regular basis and has recently seen games involving Birmingham and West Brom he watches them from his TV in Madrid which uh, I found quite interesting did you think he might listen to the old second tier part if you do Roberto then feel free to get in touch we'd love Abrigado. to have you on Abrigado. I don't know what that means. Um, Now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show (laughs) where we have three questions that we give the listeners on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts and everything to do with the championship. Firstly, will Burnley and Sheffield United be the top two coming the end of the season? Yes or no? I can see it happening very easily, yeah. I struggle to see anything else happening at this point, I think, Justin, unless... Watford and Norwich pull their fingers out in the second half of the season. 66% of people said yes, 34% said no. Is it time for Dean Smith to go, yes or no? Listening to Jacob's passionate rant, uh, not rant, um, therapy session, uh, I think yes, I think it's the right time, yeah. I don't think... 
I don't think the job he's doing deserves the sack, but I think it's got to the point where fans have made their minds up. And I don't think there's really a way back. It's hard to point if you see what I mean from. Um, 55% of people said yes, it is time to go. 45% said no. And finally, who's going to win the World Cup? Argentina, Brazil, England or France? I've picked the four favourites with the bookies there. There are the four favourites with England, Argentina, Brazil. And Brazil. Brazil's squad is fantastic, isn't it? It's so well balanced. Um, yeah, I can't see, can't see anyone other than Brazil. I'm between Argentina and Brazil. I think one of those two are much more likely to win it than a European nation. And I think that's mainly down to the quality of both the squads, but also because I think there's a sense of destiny with Messi and Neymar that to, you know, finalise their careers, get a World Cup on uh, on the old CV. I'm edging more towards Argentina just because... Messi's in such fantastic form at the moment. But 35% of people said Brazil. 32% said Argentina. 25% have faith that it's coming home. And then 8% said France. Right now, it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Charlie Keegan from the Central Wigan blog and Jacob Robinson from CanaryCast. So I'm the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight, country, name the eight countries with the most wins in the history of the World Cup. And Charlie would say Brazil, that's one down. And Jacob would say Germany, that's another down. But if Justin would say Qatar, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So the England squad has been announced this week for the World Cup in Qatar. Plenty of discussion about who should have been included, who shouldn't. I still think Ivan Tony should have gone, but who cares? Anyway, we've got the squad, but can you name for me the eight players with the most England caps in the 26-man squad? So we'll kick things off with you, Jacob. Can you name me one of the most capped players in the England squad? I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to say, Say Norwich City legend Harry Kane. <laughs> yes, of course. 51 goals as well. Not a bad record. He's got 75 caps uh, in that time. He's the second most capped player in the England squad. Charlie? I'm going to go with Jordan Henderson. Correct. Jordan Henderson has got 70 caps. He's the fourth most capped player in the squad. Justin? Carl Walker. Also, 70 caps for Cal Walker. He's the third most capped player. Well, joint third most capped player in the squad. Um, that means you're three down. Jacob, you'll go. Um, Sterling. Raheem Sterling. Must have loads. Yeah, he's the most capped player in the England squad. Still only 27 as well. So you should easily get 100 caps, you'd have thought. So you've named the top four, boys. It's time for the remaining four. Charlie, you'll go. I'm going to go with another Jordan, but Jordan Pickford this time. Jordan Pickford is not in there. He's oh, really? the ninth most cap player in the squad. He's literally oh, wow. one cap off. So oh. you're very <laughs> unfortunate. Uh, but that means Charlie is out. That means it's down to Justin and Jacob. Four remaining. Justin Peach? Um, yeah, I guess hard now. I, I want to say Maguire. 
Harry Maguire's got 48 caps, which makes him the sixth most pl- capped player in the squad. So that is correct. Hopefully, he won't be adding to those caps at this World Cup. Um, <laughs> Jacob? I was going to go with Maguire as well. Um, oh. Now, I know he's experienced. I don't know how many he's got. Oh. Got which fullback do we go for? <laughs> I think overall is risky. We'll go Trippier. I think I might be wrong now. I think he might not have that many. Kieran Trippier. Kieran Trippier has got 37 caps, which makes him the 10th most capped player in the squad, unfortunately. So Jacob is out. That means it's down to Justin Peach with three players remaining. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember who's in the squad. I don't think I paid much attention to it. Um, always very handy. Yeah. Um, I mean, John Stones, he's been an evergreen under Gareth Southgate, so he's surely worth a shout. John Stones has got 59 caps. He's the fifth most capped player in the squad. So that's correct. You've got two remaining, Justin. It's seventh and eighth you're looking uh, for. Seventh and eighth. Marcus Rash- Rashford's been going for a long time. Although he doesn't play many games, but I think because he's been going for a long time, he'll sneak in there. He's got 46 caps. He's the eighth most capped player in the squad. One more than Jordan Pickford. So he just sneaks in. That means you've got one more remaining, Justin. This player's got 47 caps. I can't remember who this player is. Eric Dyer. It's got to be Eric Dyer. It is Eric Dyer. Oh, my God. Absolutely spot on. (laughs) Best moment in his whole England career has got to be that tackle on Sergio Ramos. But you're absolutely spot on. Justin Peach. That means you guys are victorious on Simon Grayson Tate for late with this week. Uh, Jacob, I think you were saying just before you've got a terrible record at this game. Finally won. I'm sure it was a team effort there. Justin, yeah, <laughs> carried us over the line. Good old uh, team of Pookie style. Cheers, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, boys. So this has been the Second Tier Podcast and this was the last round of Championship Games before the World Cup, but the content doesn't stop here on the Second Tier, ladies and gentlemen. Oh no. This coming Thursday, Justin and I will be reacting to our league table predictions from the start of the season gulp a lot to digest in that one Uh, next sunday we'll be doing our halfway team of the season so plenty for you to look forward to if you're not particularly keen on watching a world cup that's very morally dubious but big thank you to our guests on the show this week charlie keegan from the central wigan blog thank you for your time today thank you very much for having me on and jacob robinson from the norwich podcast canary cast thank you for your time today Thank you, mate. I feel very well cleansed now and look forward to not being asked on for a few more months. Please don't let me. But until Smith's gone, then we can uh, we can talk again. I'll be very happy. <laughs> we'll see what we could do. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.